You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Well, apparently it's coming home, but we won't get too excited. We've got Denmark to play, and I say we, being an Irishman, because my dad's English. So technically, I'm half English. So it's coming home, people. (laughs) feel like I'm just picking and choosing, you know, what I like, when I like it sort of thing. But it's a really exciting season in the life of church. We're going into, like Julie so well and excellently explained, into our Couch to Community doing community all over again, like the analogy of being on the couch and going to the 5K. You don't just get up from the couch and do 5K, right? That just doesn't happen. And if it does, you end up in trouble because you get injured. But you gradually come off the couch, do a couple of miles and build up to 5K. So what we're doing across summer is we're building up to community again. It's going to be incredible. And in a couple of weeks, we look to, on the 25th of July, bring toddlers back downstairs for our under fives, for our kids. And all the parents said, amen. So we're moving forward, taking ground. It's exciting. And today we start a new series called Keep the Change. Keep the Change. If you've watched Home Alone, you would have got Julie's reference earlier. Keep the change. You can't say it in church. Keep the change. And I want to read a couple of stats out really quick before we get going. Stats say this, 60% of marriages that fail cite finances as a key component of breakdown in relationship. 62% of people are worried about personal debt levels. Six million Britons fear never being debt free. That's almost one in 10 Brits. And 25% struggle to make ends Mate, did you know that Jesus talks more about finances in the Bible than he does heaven or hell? So we have to, as a church, step into the revelation and the realization that the word of God has something to say and a life to be lived through our finances. Now, what I love about the Bible is that it's not just good advice, it's God's advice. And if God is God, he really is the ruler of the universe. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do anything. I think that if God says something to us as his people, we should take note, apply it to our lives, and trust God that God will bring breakthrough. So over the next four weeks, we're doing finances, and we're not just talking about debt and finance. We're talking about debt, stewardship, generosity, contentment, and legacy, that you would live a legacy in your finances that wouldn't just meet ends meet for you, but you could actually provide for the generations to come after you. Does anybody want to live a life like that? That sounds awesome. But I wonder today, have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like you didn't have what everybody else had? A time where you felt like you were truly missing out. When I was 16, I moved to a brand new grammar school. I was in a high school. I moved to the grammar school. But in high school, there was a certain way that you would dress that was very different to the way people would dress in the grammar school. Now, us being football boys, we would wear tracksuits everywhere we went. I mean, tracksuits would be the occasion. 
You've got your mum's 50th birthday party. You're wearing a tracksuit. You're going out with your friends to play football. You're tracksuits were just what we wore. It was a normal part of our, our dress decor, let's say. We were the tracksuit boys. We would wear them everywhere. But if one of the guys would come out wearing jeans one Saturday night at the age of 14, 15, you knew he was only wearing jeans because he wanted to impress that girl that was coming out to play football with us. We all wore tracksuits. And as I went to the grammar school, there was suddenly a massive shift in the way people dressed. No longer were everybody wearing tracksuits like they were in my high school. Everybody was wearing a particular kind of tracksuit bottoms called Canterbury tracksuit bottoms. But here's me in my Adidas or Adidas, depending on how you set, tracksuit bottoms, feeling like I was missing out because everybody was wearing these Canterbury tracksuit bottoms. Not only that, in this grammar school, everybody wore that clothing brand. When you went to the shop, you smelt it before you seen it. And you know the one when you walk inside, you have to put the phone light on, on your phone, the torch to be able to see where you're going. Everybody wore that brand in school. And here's me in my tracks at bottoms, totally feeling like I had missed out. So you bet your bottom dollar that come Christmas, the only things that were on my Christmas list to fit in were the Canterbury tracksuit bottoms and were the, you know it, that kind of clothing brand of clothes. And I I got the clothes, I was excited, thinking that the clothes would give me some sort of new level of contentment that I'd fit in and I'd feel part of the family. But I walked into school after the Christmas break And I suddenly felt like I was still missing out. I didn't feel like I had fit in. I didn't feel content. It was so strange to me because I thought that I would be content if I had the right clothes, the right tracks at bottoms. And I reckon, church, all of us in life have had those times where we felt like if only we had the right things, then we would be content. If only we had the nice car, then we'd be content. If only we had the nice holidays, then we'd be content. If only we had the nice meals out, then we would be content. But the danger is, is that comparison in our lives will always breed dissatisfaction because there will always be somebody over the fence that has what we don't have, but we think that when we acquire it, suddenly we will be more content. But when we get there, we find out we're not any more content. And so we are stuck in an infinite cycle of restlessness, trying to fill our lives and acquire our lives full of things in order to become content. Checking our bank account every day in the hope that somebody has transferred us 5,000 pounds because then it would sort out all of life's problems and we'd be content. Hoping that if we just invested in the right cryptocurrency, then we'd get lucky. Then we'd be content. If only we had the right things, then we would be content. Now in that same school church, I remember getting my first car. It was a wow factor moment. I remember going to get it. It was a Hyundai Amica. Hyundai Amica. You're looking at me blankly because none of you shouldn't know what that car looks like. Because here is a photo of the car coming up on the screen in all of its glory. My friends nicknamed it the Granny Car. Driving that bad boy to school, my first ever car. For me, it was a miracle. But as I looked around the car park 
of all my grammar school friends that had top-of-the-range cars, suddenly there was a level of discontent that I felt in my life. I looked around and thought, if only I had that car, if only I had those things, then I would be content. But here's me with my Hyundai Amica looking like that, but not just like that, church. The bonnet was a different color to the rest of the car. It stuck out like a sore thumb. But what happened was, as I would get to the school bell, I would hang out in the common room downstairs, and I would wait for everybody to drive home first after school in the mad school rush so I could leave after so that nobody would see what my car looked like. See, what happened, church, was discontentment started to erode and destroy my life, when in reality, my car from my context was an absolute miracle. And today, church, if we don't destroy discontentment in our lives, it will erode us. It will destroy us. It will cause us to lose perspective. And one of the keys to financial health and wholeness is learning the art, learning the secret of contentment. So today, church, the message is called this, destroying discontentment. Destroying discontentment. Lots of the messages to come are very practical, but today we're preaching and talking into a spirit. We're speaking into the spirit of contentment. The Bible says this in Numbers 11. You can go ahead and find it on the screens. It says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place was called Tibera because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Now the rabble with them began to crave other food. They're getting hangry. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, The cucumbers, the melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Man, they must have been hungry to get excited about cucumbers and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I'll talk into what manna is in a moment. But manna is the supernatural provision that God provided the Israelites in the desert for them to eat. The Bible says this about the manna. It was like a coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot and made it into loaves and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the Jews settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down, almost their church. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Context right now, church, is the Israelites have been in slavery for 430 years in Egypt, and they have broke free from Egypt. God has done miracle after miracle after miracle, and they now find themselves journeying towards the promised land. They find themselves in the middle of a miracle, but completely discontent. 
craving to go back to Egypt, craving to go back to where they had different food, but where they were slaves. The Israelites right now would rather be slaves and eat a different food than live in the freedom and in the miraculous that God has for them. In other words, they would rather trade their freedom for some fruit and veg. And this isn't the first time it's happened in the Bible. Rewind a couple of chapters to Genesis whenever we've got this account of Jacob and Esau and Esau who sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. The lesson hasn't been learned. And what discontentment did for the Israelites right now is it completely skewed, distorted and blurred their vision and they totally lost perspective. It deterred them so much that they spent 40 years wandering around the desert when it should have taken them 11 days. Discontentment robbed them from the next step that God had for them. And today for us, discontentment will rob us from the miracle that we find ourselves living in. The first thing we have to do today to destroy discontentment in our lives is this, is to quit complaining, is to quit complaining. The Bible says this in Numbers verse 1, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some on the outskirts of the camp. And in verse 10, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. So the people have complained to God in God's presence. And then they've gone home, stood at the entrance to their tents and complained. They literally had a pity party. Can you imagine standing at the front of your doorstep, your whole neighborhood out, complaining about how tough life is? It sounds absolutely ridiculous, but we might not do it on our doorsteps, but get this. During an average conversation, we lob complaints at each other about once a minute, according to research. See, in the UK, complaining tends to come naturally to us, doesn't it? And there's a social reason for that. The research suggests that nothing unites and binds people so much as a common dislike. Well, you're asking me right now, what's so bad about that then, Pastor Lee? If we can all complain and get closer together, then happy days. It's not quite all it's cracked up to be because get this, all of that whinging comes at a cost. Our brains release stress hormones that harm neural connections in areas that we use for problem solving and other cognitive functions. This also happens when we listen to somebody else moan and groan. It's as bad as secondhand smoke. And the reality for the Israelites right now is they are more concerned with everybody hearing their complaint rather than seeking God for a solution to what they were going through. They would rather get on their high horse than get on their knees. And today, church, we have to be people of God that quit complaining, getting on our high horse, but first take it to God on our knees and press in for a solution. Press in to be a problem solver, not sit content with with the way things are of the status quo, but take action, take initiative, move forward, trust and pray that God would do something supernatural and phenomenal in our lives because airing complaints is no way 
to prosper. All of you know it. Nobody likes hanging around a whinger where all you hear all day is complaint after complaint. Rather than just bringing complaint, let's bring advice, solution, strategy. And where there doesn't seem to be strategy, let's trust God that God could do in our situations and our circumstances only what God can do. Bible says this in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first, audacious church, his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. The reality is this, is that God's provision will always follow God's call. So if God has called you to something, God will get you through that something. We don't chase the provision as people of God. We chase the God call and God will provide for us on the way. The Israelites in the desert with nothing but manna, but they are following the call of God. And eventually they release and realize the promised land 40 years later and stepped into everything that God had for them. The first thing, quit complaining. The second thing is to avoid comparison. Avoid comparison. Verse 5 says it like this. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. It was free. Happy days. Also the cucumbers, the melons for free, the leeks, onions, and garlics. Sounds like the dream, right? Wrong. The Israelites also had beatings in Egypt, forced slavery, and 430 years of intense labor. See, comparison has an incredible way of blurring the reality of what's going on and tainting the real picture. See, comparison develops in us a spirit that wants us to press fast forward on the process that God is developing and the person he is making us become along the way. And wholeness in our lives doesn't come from comparison. It comes from avoiding comparison. And we as people have to become good at ridding our lives with the spirit of comparison. For so many of us, not you guys because you're perfect, Manchester campus spend forever on social media scrolling, 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 comparing, comparing, comparing. And all that happens at the end of the scroll fest is you're left feeling bitter, disappointment, lacking, not good enough because all you're seeing is the highlight reel of other people's lives. You haven't seen the journey on the way. You haven't seen the sacrifices people made to get to where they are. You don't even have the context of what it really looks like because it's filtered, it's skewed. So what happens when we focus on those things is we lose sight of the reality of the way things are and we become trapped in this endless cycle of comparison, feeling discontent, feeling not good enough, not feeling worthy. Theodore Roosevelt says it like this, comparison is the thief of joy. Today, church, don't let the spirit of comparison rob you from the spirit of gratitude. What I have now, I am blessed. Who I have now, I am blessed. Where I am now, I am blessed. I might have a job I don't like. Thank God that I've got a job. I might have a car that always breaks down. Thank God that I've got a car. I might have a sibling that I don't get on with most of the time. Thank God, because God has blessed me. And we avoid comparison by choosing the spirit of gratitude and applying it to our lives. Proverbs says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Let's choose, church, to avoid comparison. 
third and final thing, last point we have to do to destroy discontentment in our lives is to celebrate what you do have. Numbers 11, verse 9. When the Jews settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. The Israelites have left Egypt. They're now on the way to the promised land. God has done miracle after miracle. Moses has rescued the people through the power of God out of Egypt. They've been led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud day and night to get to where they are right now. They're on the edge of the sea with the Egyptian army behind them and the sea in front of them. God parts the sea and the Israelites walk through as if on dry land. The waters recede, the Egyptian army are wiped out and the Israelites right now are on the way to the promised land. And God is providing for them manna to eat from heaven, supernatural food to sustain them on the journey. But the Israelites, because they're so focused on the feats of yesterday and the good stories of Egypt, the nice food that they may have eaten, they've forgotten the whole point that God has taken them to the promised land. They've forgotten to celebrate what they do have. The Wall Street Journal says this. It says, one of the main reasons why having more stuff doesn't always make us happy is that we adapt to it. Human beings are remarkably good at getting used to changes in their lives, especially positive changes. If you have a rising income, it gives you a boost, but then your aspirations rise too. Maybe you buy a bigger home in a new neighborhood so your neighbors are richer and you start wanting even more and more and more. You've stepped on the hedonistic, hedonic treadmill trying to prevent that or slow it down, and that's really a challenge. It could be as simple as setting aside time every day to follow the traditional advice of counting your blessings. Right before Lysandra and I got married, we were looking for the perfect first place to live, the perfect place. And it didn't matter how much we searched on Rightmove, this perfect place, we couldn't find it. We were searching, we applied, turns out other people had gotten there first, and we kind of felt a little bit like stuck, where are we gonna live? You know, is God gonna provide for us? And then we found the apartment we live in now. And I remember we, we walked through it on a tour, led by the daughter of the mom who lived there, which was a strange scenario in itself, that the eight-year-old girl was showing us the apartment and not the letting agency. Different story for a different time. But we remember walking around the apartment and it just felt right. We were like, wow, this is it. This is the best apartment for us right now in our stage of marriage. Wow, it has two bathrooms, class. It's got two bedrooms, a massive living area, kitchen. We were like happy days and it's ground floor. No stairs to climb, bless the Lord, right? We were so pumped and excited. And it truly was a miracle for us that we got that apartment and moved in. But now next month, Lysandra and I are moving to a different house about five minutes up the road and it is incredible. It is everything we've dreamt of and more. But what's happened along the way the last couple of months, I've started to see the apartment through a different set of eyes. Things that I used to love about the apartment suddenly don't excite me so much anymore. Suddenly in comparison to what's to come, the apartment feels like a, doesn't feel great in light of what's to come. See what's happened is, is what's happening in the future is skewing my perspective of the miracle of today. Because what was a miracle in my yesterday is still a miracle today. 
And that's what happens when we forget to celebrate what we do have, when we're always focused on the next big thing, the next miracle, the next thing that's coming up, the next opportunity. We lose sight of the miracle that God has already done in our lives so far. Hey, Israelites, start celebrating what you do have. All right, you don't have the lakes, the garlic, the the cucumbers. You've got the manna from heaven. It's not forever. It's a temporary season on the way of what's to come. The danger of looking back is they start to live and breed discontentment through their lives. So much so that God waited until everybody who was over the age of 20 had died out before he took the Israelites into the promised land. Because them focusing on the feats of yesterday skewed their perspective on what was to come and robbed them from the miracle that was in front of them. And today, church, if we're not careful, living discontent, becoming unhappy with the miracles that God's done in our lives will rob us from the miracle of tomorrow. Today, church, start by celebrating what you do have. What was that miracle yesterday that you believed for that is now normal? Who is that person you had faith to become a Christian that's now leading worship on stage? What's that job that you always dreamt of, but now you have it, it becomes a little bit lukewarm. Thank God for the miracles that he's done. But also church, let's be aspirational at what's to come. This isn't a message about settling, about not moving forward, taking ground, advancing. We're all about that. If you've been here sometime or a long time, you'll know that already. But this is a message about the spirit of contentment being content with what God has done in your life to this point. Yes, the house might be in dire need of a, re- of a renovation, but thank God that he's brought you and gifted you and given you that house. There might be a lot of work to do, but thank God for what he's done on the journey so far. Church, right across this place, why don't you jump to your feet? We're gonna go into a moment of praise, but I'm gonna read a verse from the Psalms. It says this, it says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives audacious church all of your sins, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Today, church, destroy discontentment by changing your perspective and changing your confession and living a life of gratitude. I am content. I am blessed. I am grateful. I am favored. I am a miracle. I have more than enough. I have an opportunity. I have the ability to change the status quo. You can be content today by quitting complaining, avoiding comparison, and celebrating what you do have. It's right across this place, we're gonna worship because we've extended our service times to allow us to spend some time in God's presence right now and respond. So what I'd love you to do as the band will lead us in worship is to thank God, celebrating what you do have. There might be lots you're believing for and I'm sure there is in our lives, but let's start today. Let's start this series off with a great start of thanking God for all of the blessings He's given us, for the family He's given us, for the place to live he's given us, for the job we've got, for all of the many blessings he's crowned on our lives, salvation, forgiveness, hope, 
joy, redemption, sanctification, every good and perfect gift has come from God. So right now, why don't you lift your hand as we Thank worship. Thank you for listening to this Audacious Podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com.